0: Thank you all for listening to um, Le Cadeau podcast. Today my guest is uh, Louis Desiteau. He's uh, an old friend, and he lectures on uh, Jungian things, I guess. That's right. Okay. Um, I invited Louis for a number of reasons, uh, not because he's old or a friend, maybe <laughs> because of his Jungian things, <laughs> and I've attended some of his um some of his lectures, I found them very interesting. And he's also a Cajun, and we have a lot in common. And so um, a few months ago, like around Easter, I had a, an artist who came to my house, and his name was Eric Giraudet de Boudemange. It took me a week to learn his name. In my phone, I have Eric slash artist, (laughs) in case I never learned it. And uh, I brought him to meet you. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes, you did. That was interesting.
1: Yeah, all by itself.
0: So Eric came and he met me. I don't know exactly how he got my information, but he was an artist in residence in New Orleans, and he came here to learn about healing. But he brought with him the fact that our culture needs healing. And he brought um, his connection with a woman in Argentina. Her name was Delfina. I like the whole thought, Delfina from Argentina. And she (laughs) did something called family constellation therapy. Had you ever heard of that before? No, I hadn't and And basically, I was so excited when Eric said that my culture needed healing because he understood that through the grand dérangement and a lot of things we have experienced, we have and carry some sort of woundedness. so this piece he brought is is an intergenerational healing mm-hmm. and and one of the examples he gave was like, if your daddy had been a a German soldier and kill Jews. No mm-hmm. one would ever talk about that. Right. And that they never spoke about that. It needed to be addressed and healed. So um, I also felt, but I didn't know, that I-, I wanted to help heal the collective unconscious of us. Uh-huh. Okay, now... And when I say the Cajuns, I don't mean just the Cajuns who are descendants of people who went to Canada. I also include Native Americans and African Americans. I mean like the French-speaking people that live here. All right. Because all three of us have, we didn't come here easy. That's right. If you were born here, you had so much happen to you as Native Americans, it has not been easy. Since the Europeans arrived, if you came as a slave, that wasn't easy. And and we, some of the European Americans did pass through Canada. Some French people were here, and we have other than French who live here. So the whole point being, um, I I didn't know what the collective unconscious of us was. Mm
1: -hmm. Do you? you Do you want me to say something? Yeah. Do
0: you know what it
1: is? (laughs) I can say a few things about the collective unconscious. That okay. comes That's one of the ideas that Carl Jung had. Right. Um, we all know the unconscious is what we don't know about ourselves. But what we don't know about ourselves has basically two different levels to it. One of the levels is stuff that we can know rather easily. That's the stuff that belongs to what's called the personal unconscious. Mm-hmm the personal unconscious has to do with events from our past uh, events that maybe we don't remember but if we set our minds to remembering it we might we would come across it and be able to collect it okay <clears throat> the collective unconscious is a little bit further away from our awareness than those kinds of things because the personal unconscious would in a general way involve memory what we remember about our lives and what we remember about our parents what we remember about our aunts and uncles and our upbringing now the thing to be to notice about that that's not that's not a generic information it's exactly. always an information that's very personal and each person is going to have their own take their own memory their own awareness of what a parent is like and what what an, an aunt was like what what a cousin was like exactly and it might not be that all the people in the family share that right they would have different takes they would have different reactions
0: different perspectives Right. different perspectives okay.
1: um, each person has their own temperament you might say their own abilities their own sensitivities and those things always color what we receive. So we receive data, but in some kind of way, it gets taken in according to us. Right. So there's always a subjective element that goes If you're goes having
0: there. a bad day or if you're not having a bad day, it affects how you take stuff in. That's correct. Besides who we are innately and how we are innately different. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got you.
1: Okay. Now, collective unconscious is a little bit further back than that. Um, but let me see if I can say how that functions, because it's, uh, that's where Jung's idea of the archetype comes okay. in. Okay.
0: While you're thinking about how it functions, I just want to state that I had a meeting one time years ago with Charlene Henry in front of Café des Amis. We had an official meeting, and I told her that I wanted to do this, and neither she nor I at the moment knew what was the collective unconscious of the Cajun people. Mm-hmm. But she was very interested in it, and right. so was I. So years later, I went to her house, and I had made a CD, and she had been overseas to give a paper. Did you hear her paper? I think she went to Switzerland, maybe. Okay. And and it was basically about this culture, this French-speaking culture here. And the CD and what she said were very, very similar. Mm-hmm. And then over the years that I've been wanting to to share about or affect the collective unconscious, uh, as I would share that with people, they would all say, "Well, start with you." That's a- right, and that would really like really make me angry because okay, I got it. I've been working. If you knew how hard I've been working on myself, and I would laugh to myself, but I know th- and knew there was a g- bigger picture, and now this is years later, mm-hmm. and so we're talking about something that.
1: You see, when you're talking about culture, you're talking about a a kind of general awareness, like a Cajun culture. Exactly. You you see, the Cajun culture has certain qualities, um, and and you can specify what they are, like joie de vivre, uh, cooking, um, speaking French, uh, some of the being Catholic. All of those things can be pieces of it. Right. But at the same time. You don't work with the culture um, in a direct way. You work with the culture more in an individual way by understanding how it affects you.
0: Well, would you say it's the same as family therapy and then you work with individual members of the family? Is it, is it like looking at the family as a unit? You can't work on unit things. You have to work on individual members who make up the unit. Is there a similarity there?
1: I'm not, I'm not sure that I can put it that way. You see, when you're working with a family, you're, also, you're working with the dynamics that the family have. And it's a
0: present tense and yeah, it's, it's, it's alive. Present, I it's
1: alive. You. It's also it's got habits. It's got ways of seeing. And individuals within the family participate in that. Right, okay. They have a way of interacting. And when you're doing therapy in a family, part of what you might be doing is seeking to get people to think about what they're doing because it's having a bad effect. Okay. See, then you're getting to them to to understand for themselves what's going on that they're participating in, and whether or not they can change that. Now, when you're talking about doing individual therapy. Um, like in a Jungian vein, part of what you're doing is trying to get people to recognize the patterns they live in and the patterns that are habitual, and especially the patterns um, that they really don't even notice that they've got, but that they've absorbed from parents and from, from the people that have been around them. Okay. So it's like you have to become aware of those things in order to affect them. Otherwise, they function automatically.
0: So is there a way, as I work on myself, that I can make an effort to consciously do something with the collective unconscious? I mean, I already did that the piece with the lady from Argentina, and I'm doing what I can. Is there an approach?
1: Well, working with a therapist would be one one approach. Okay. Following your dreams. and, And what you might be looking for are the ways in which what you might call cultural themes begin to show up. Okay. Now, that's not going to show up in an abstract way. Uh, what I mean by that is, um, you're going to have people talking or dreaming about their relatives, and the relatives might embody in certain ways aspects of the culture. Okay. Then you begin to get a picture of it. You okay. begin to identify what the pattern looks like to this individual, okay. how they see that person, how they understand that person. But that person in a dream is not about the person out there, probably. It's more about how that person has affected the individual who's having the dream. Okay. So through that person, through the imagery of the person in, in a dream... dream. The individual in the in therapy is going to get a notion of how that functions within his own life, her own life. Okay. So it's like there's that process of beginning to learn that Aunt So and So. Tontin. <laughs> you see, uh, that she acts a certain way, and then that neen is like a presence in me. And when, she, when I dream about it, it means that in some kind of way, that presence is having an effect. Okay. You could almost compare it to a ghost, except the ghost is appearing in the dream, and it's indicating that that individual is having an effect. The individual, not exactly, the way they live, the dream is using them to show me something about myself. Okay. Does that help?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I understand this conversation. I don't know if the the whole concept of the collective unconscious is, is being understood by the people who are listening. Only time will tell about that. <laughs> I, I think that's
1: a very difficult concept to get because it's not an idea. It's exactly. more It's more like it's an experience. You begin to feel its existence and know that it's there. Exactly. One of the ways that I first encountered what I would call the Cajun aspects of the psyche when I first began um, my private practice. I could remember people bringing in dreams about, often it was a neighbor, a neighbor who spoke French, a neighbor who was very Cajun, they would say. "See," But that person often had some certain qualities. Some of the qualities were things like, they weren't very well educated, but they had a certain feeling for life. They had a very basic feeling for what was important and what wasn't. They might have had a feeling for people. They had a feeling for food. They had a feeling for helping people, Mm -hmm. for for doing things for people. And that person would be... uh, like the neighbor would come over for coffee and then they would have an exchange with them and, and they were impressed with the way that person who wasn't very educated at the same time had a kind of, what you might call now, an emotional intelligence.
0: Right, right.
1: And, and I began to understand that that was part for those particular people who were having those kinds of dreams. That was like a, some people who had a very grounded, practical... Uh, ordinary sense of life that they found very important yeah that was part of the the cajun thing that was showing up in dreams i'd also have to say that um as time has moved on because that was like 30 years ago right you see uh, those kinds of influences are becoming less and less Because fewer and fewer people are being raised talking French, for one thing. And they're around. A lot of the people who spoke French regularly have died. Exactly. So it's like it's kind of going into the mist. But it's there. And what are some of the characteristics of the, of the Cajun thing? It's like great loss, the grand dérangement. Right. Great loss, losing everything, losing where you live where you Where your relatives were losing the relatives themselves uh, being transported into a place where you didn't know, but you wanted to go there because they talked french exactly and does that help any
0: yeah, I think so, and I, I think it's going to get clearer as we as as i um, mean you know, we just sort of like plow through and see what we get in the okay. field of of Jung and the collective unconscious of who we are here. Um, The name of the podcast is Le Cadeau, which means the gift, and it's the gift of healing. And, you know, um, my grandfather was a traitor, and and so were a lot of people around here, and they don't have too many anymore. Right. And they were uh, not necessarily educated but they were always there right anybody in town could be a traitor so it doesn't matter what you looked like you didn't have to there wasn't a process somebody gave you the prayer you became a traitor so as i as i share about these things um i, I didn't want it to be only let's talk about the traitor, because mm-hmm. healing doesn't happen in a vacuum that's right it happens in a culture.
1: That's right, but it also happens to a great extent one-on-one. Between, yes. And I think that's an important piece of it because the one who comes for healing recognizes that they have a problem that the problem needs tending to in some kind of way and they don't know how to do that. Exactly. And and you see, I think the other piece of it is to recognize that healing itself can show up in different ways and have different cultural forms. Mm -hmm. Like one of the forms of healing that we've got is the medical forms of nursing and doctors and nurse practitioners and and those kinds of people who have training to do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But there are also people like me who are therapists and who have an interest in healing and who get to have an interest in In healing, often because they've had some sense of a problem in their life that they've had to deal with. Right. So it's like there's a piece of what gets termed the wounded healer. Because you have a wound, you get interested in healing. Right. And because you have a wound, you get an interest in suffering. And you learn how suffering. Can go nowhere or suffering can go somewhere and where it goes when it goes right is toward healing
0: wow yeah and that's how i got into healing after i had cancer right so it's exactly what you what you're saying as as a as
1: yeah because you've had an experience of an issue that you didn't know how to face and you didn't know what the outcome was going to be.
0: Totally, I didn't.
1: Yeah, so that's a huge piece. And you see, that's got implications in the cultural unconscious. When we're up against issues that we don't know how to solve, that's the point at which we begin to look for help that's out of the ordinary. And we look for help out of the ordinary because what we ordinarily know hasn't helped. Exactly. So we, we start looking for what takes us in a different place, what gives us, helps us to have a different attitude about what it is that we're having the difficulty with. Um, that's part of why we have like treatment centers, uh, like addiction treatment centers. Uh, we have mental hospitals. Uh, they're all the, the safe places that people go to so that they can, in a crisis, uh, begin to deal with the issues they've got and learn how to cope in a better way.
0: Right, and be tended to by people who yes. can be okay with them. Yes. You know, if you faint ever, the sight of blood, you shouldn't be at home with your family who can't deal with blood. <laughs> and if, yeah.
1: Yes. I, I remember once <laughs> I cut my thumb... And there's the scar right there on a table saw. And my wife's a nurse. She was okay with blood, but she wasn't okay that I had cut my thumb. And she goes across the street to a neighbor who says, Oh, no, I can't stand the sight of blood. So he was no help at all. At all. Yeah. And it's like those are the things that we come upon. Where does that come from? See, so that somebody can't stand the sight of blood. Ordinarily, it's because they've had an experience oh, exactly. of blood. You see, but that doesn't get out of your system unless you work with it in some kind of way. Right. That's what therapy is all about. That's the method of therapy. You begin to get exposed to the stuff you have difficulty with, and you try to work out something that's different.
0: Okay. So let's let's uh, I have. As as a former cancer patient, my oncologist is my friend. My first one retired so I'm really glad, you know. I hope I never need another one, but I have one in case. Okay. But as a healer, I'm often asked, do I have to believe for it to work? And and for me, my answer is no, you just have to come. Mm-hmm. As a therapist, do you think people be- have to believe in therapy for it to work or?
1: No. But they have to reach a point where they experience something that gives them a different attitude, a different outlook, a different perspective. Something in the process has to change or nothing changes. And if nothing changes, then it all stays the same.
0: Okay. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. So they just have to show up and something can happen whether they get it or not, whether they believe it or not. They just
1: have to go, okay,
0: that makes sense.
1: You see, and and some people come into therapy and bring a curiosity. They want to know what's going on. Some people bring a fear that they know is terrible and very oppressive. And it's like there's always the question, because as a therapist, you really don't know what's going to happen. I remember a long time ago somebody saying that, Therapy was kind of like a snake in a chicken coop. <laughs> you didn't know what was going to happen. You just knew something would. <laughs> That's
0: kind of serious. <laughs> well, I mean, I have, um, you know, I have just seen that, that um, and it is my perception, that any illness is a family illness.
1: Any illness clearly... Affects the family
0: exactly, and and when I had illness, uh, my family was not always able to be there for me. Sure, so the the support groups that developed around me, or that I helped to develop, and and things like Camp Bluebird and uh, um, the Moss Perret Center, and. All other support groups that I had helped to to create before were very helpful because not everybody can help you. That's right. And that doesn't have to be held against them. That's true. You know, like if you if you can't stand the sight of blood, then you don't go to somebody when you're bleeding. <laughs> and if That's you for know sure. if they don't understand what you need and they don't have it to give, then you find someone who can. And then if your family comes along, then that's a line out. But if they don't come along, at least you can get your needs met. hmm I found that to be quite helpful for me. Yes. In uh in my whole life. When you were growing up, I'm from Scott. Where are you from? Kaplan. Okay. Did y'all have treaters? Did you know treaters? Did you go to Tretares when you were growing
1: up? I knew about them, but I my mother didn't take me to them. Okay. And I would say probably that's because she was a school teacher okay and as a school teacher that would have been kind of like an
0: uneducated yeah. way to deal with something
1: yes you got it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's uh it's amazing i i was about i don't remember 10 maybe 11 and i had a sunstroke and uh and so, mama said, Well, I'm going to call Gro Pop. He's going to come treat you. you know, Gro Pop was our word for my grandpa. And that was my mama's daddy. And like I'm thinking, I wondered if he was going to treat me good or treat me bad or <laughs> buy me a treat, you know? <laughs> because you didn't know what I it meant. didn't know. I had no clue. And he came and he said some prayers in French and he ran his hands through some water. And he ran his hands through my hair, and, and then he went we'd meet Mom in the kitchen. They had coffee. And about five minutes later, I was ready to go play outside.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and years later, when I was diagnosed with cancer, and one of the nuns at Lourdes, the hospital Lourdes here, told me I should look into healing work, I'm thinking, I'm thinking she must have something wrong with her to tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> but But... Because I was in the hospital and I realized I could think about it because I couldn't do anything else. I remembered my grandfather and I'm thinking, well, well, if I can, I guess if if he can, I guess I can. And so I, I followed her her direction and her advice at the time. But because my grandfather was, and because I did this, doesn't mean healing was accepted. The whole treacherous thing was not accepted by everybody, even here. That's correct. And uh, a lot of people are coming and wanting to make this be some big deal, and it's like... (laughs) No. No, really. It was was just a service. And I didn't need to know about my grandpa, because back in those days, it was all word of mouth. So you just... Yes. Who knew, knew, and who needed, they would call. Where do you see that going today? What? The whole traiteur thing. There are so many fewer traiteurs. And the whole healing, it's not necessarily going away, but it's changing forms. Or what do you see about that?
1: I think that's what I see. It's changing forms. Okay. Um, that You see, even the word traiteur, that's a French word. Mm-hmm it belongs it belonged to the to the cajun culture that spoke french right and as that language has been receding into the background some of the connections to the triteur are also receding into the background the other piece would be but there are a lot more healing people around right you see because there are Therapists, like me, social workers, psychologists, professional counselors, uh, but there's also um nurses, and there are nurses who are involved in different kinds of
0: healing, like, yeah like, like energy, nutri- work and energy work, energy nutrition. work, nutritional
1: healing uh, and and all of those are aspects of the same thing. How do you get better and it's like with some people, food can be a very important piece of it, right. Um, supplements uh, with other people, medication. It really depends on what they need. And how do you find that out? And that's always a question. So it's important to be curious about it. But you have to have a curiosity about how do I get healed? Exactly. So there's a personal element there. But I think there's also an element that's on the level of what you would call vocation or calling. Right. That there are some people who are called into healing, they find their place there. They find what they're to do in life in the healing thing. Right. Whatever whatever way that comes to them. Right.
0: Like um like the healing arts, okay? Like there was a group of people here who got together and created something called the Holistic Wellness Network. And that was people who did energy work, healing touch, reiki, those kinds of hands-on. Mm-hmm. And, and that can be understood or explained through quantum physics. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell you, I'm not a quantum <laughs> physicist, okay? Well, right. I'm but not, I get I'm the not theory. either. I get the theory. It makes sense. Okay. So at one of these gatherings, a lady came to me and she said, Are you a traitor? And I'm like, oh, no, but I wish I was because the Guru pop was, but he died before he could give it to anybody. Oh, well, would you like the prayer? And in my mind, I'm like, well, no, because you're supposed to be a man. I'm supposed to get it from a man. And in my mouth, I said, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's some connection between this woman who is a treacher and being at this holistic network meeting and and sharing that piece that had been given to her to other people that she felt would use it some of that has continued yes and and that's just something i want to share with you because sure. a lot of people wouldn't know about that it happened at a hospital mm-hmm. a catholic hospital <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: yeah I, I i mean the traiteur is is i think clearly a part of the catholic culture of of acadiana right <clears throat> But not everybody participates in it, exactly some people do
0: right, but it wasn't part of a sacrament, it no. wasn't part of a
1: no like it's part of the what you might call a folk tradition totally it, it it's it's um what people knew helped
0: yeah yes, and it did, and it still does today, and yeah, I guess it is taking new forms. I'm glad you see that because that's how I see it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sad,
1: no. It, it, it's like you can't hold on to certain things. Right. Yeah.
0: And then there are also a lot of people today who are studying what is called shamanism. Yes. And, and uh, someone I know teaches core shamanism, which is not like of a particular tribe, but just kind of the essence of shamanism. And then I have other friends who have studied in Peru and other friends who have studied with, With other people that are like psychologists that teach shamanism. So there's a whole, there's a wellspring of -hmm. healing that's coming in new ways.
1: See, Jung's psychology is somewhat connected to some shamanistic practices. In what way? In that it works imaginatively or some of the psychological work with Jung is an individual work with your own imagination. Mm -hmm. And working with your own imagination means that you recognize like, that a dream figure, for instance, can have a very particular meaning for you. And you keep that dream figure in your imagination. And then you enter into the work of dialoguing with it and understanding what it brings to you, listening to it, but also responding to it. That's an imaginative work, but it's a work.
0: Now, that's a work that if somebody is a psych patient, they may not want to do, because they may want to think that they'd never get to get out of the hospital if they're doing work with an imaginary person. But you're not you not—you're—you're you're, you're saying this as a therapeutic
1: piece. Yes. Okay. You see, and, and certain people who are psychotic, might not be able to use that kind of therapy. It okay. might not be fitting for them at all. Right. On the other hand, there are people who can do that kind of work and find it very helpful. Some people use it as a, like a meditative practice or exactly. a way of doing meditation that they continue for their lives. Some people use it only for a time.
0: Right, there's a a piece of work I was trained in, and it's called trauma first aid, and in it we use guided meditation. Yeah, and and it's powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, I do it with the person, mm-hmm. not 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 it's it's a part of the session. Sure, and it's like it is using your imagination, and it is very powerful. I never thought of it. Yeah, in in like what you were saying, but it's very similar. Yes. But it's, it's done with a partner, with the person who comes to you and you take them through this. Mm-hmm. And it, it helps them understand that there are resources or experience a resource at the point of having experienced trauma when, they, when they're shattered. That's correct. Without having to remember, relive, talk about anything that ever was the trauma. It brings them into a place of their own personal resourcefulness.
1: Yes. Wow. That's right. And and you see when you're doing that, that's archetypal, because it's not personal. Right. It, it it doesn't belong to the personal experience of the person, but it has a connecting point that is lively, and it it begins to work.
0: And in the process, sometimes they have a dream like, in their imagination, it's a dream like state, and mm-hmm. and what comes to them can be their. Help forever. It can be sure, like what you just mentioned,
1: like a kind of guide. Exactly, uh, like a like a spirit guide, right? Uh, like a personification of spiritual forces that enter into the imagination, and the individual then begins to interact with them. Right.
0: Um.
1: It's important to say, it's probably not something people should do by themselves. Exactly. But it's something that you should do with somebody who's done that kind of work and who can at least hear it with you and maybe, if necessary, offer some guidance. Right. Uh, so it's good to have somebody who every now and then at least listens to it with you.
0: Exactly. One of the things I've chosen to do when we're finished is I give them a paper and I let them do a drawing of what they experienced, and then they can take that with them mm-hmm. so that they can remember these particular things that may be particular to them and would sure. have no meaning to me. So that's that's part of their resource that that they can take with them.
1: Yeah, that's a very good thing because it gives a concrete form. It's like the stuff that's been going on in the mind enters what you would call the real world Exactly. in the drawing, and then they take the drawing with them.
0: Okay, I'd like to go to Catholicism for a while. Okay, um, I grew up Catholic. You grew up Catholic. I certainly did.
1: Most everybody. Well, most of us I, did. I, I would have to say worse than that.
0: I spent twelve <laughs> years in the seminary,
1: and I was twelve and a half years a priest. Wow! And then I left the priesthood in nineteen in, in January of nineteen eighty one. Wow! And at that point, I went to UL. For a semester, and then I went to LSU um, that fall for um, to enter the School of Social Work. Wow,
0: I didn't know you were that holy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know that I was that That's holy, okay. but, but okay. so so I'm. I was.
0: You're qualified to talk about I'm, Catholicism. I'm qualified, okay. Well, I live across the street from the church, in Scott—that's about as qualified as I get. <laughs> but um, I would like to. To, um, to discuss with you the whole, the whole thing about people who say with humor, but I don't think it's funny, that they're recovering Catholics. <laughs> I would like to be able to bring some comfort to them. If we had all been Jews in Scott, we'd be recovering from Judaism. And if we had all been Baptists, we'd be recovering from that. I think that we're recovering from, you know, an experience with an institutional religion, which is kind of common in this country. So as we have the... Yesterday, the canonization of Mother Teresa, and we have a pope that I'm all excited about having, and we can... um, I don't know that you outgrow something, but you can use what you were given as a foundation. How can we reconcile? Maybe reconcile with where we come from. How did you reconcile? How are you reconciled? <laughs> Never mind. This is not therapeutic. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good.
0: Uh, um, you, you, look. Do you let's, get my question? Put, yeah, I think so. Okay, I'm not let's clear. Let's put it this way.
1: <laughs> you see... Any cultural form can lose its vitality, it can become rigid, it be- can become what you would call ossified, right? brittle, mm-hmm. you see, and when it does that, it's as though it doesn't have a living presence that communicates, it's right. not warm, it doesn't nurture, it doesn't and, and part of what I know Catholics will sometimes react to is, is the, the kind of moralizing that often goes on in church. Right. This is right, this is wrong, that's a sin, that's not a sin, you need to do this, you can't do that, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It can get very old hearing all that. The way I would understand that is that in some kinds of ways, the living vitality gets extracted from the message. Okay. And then the living vitality might be found someplace else.
0: (laughs) Right, and I can see that in institutions. Mm -hmm. The living vitality of the education system Mm-hmm. The living vitality of the judicial system, mm-hmm. the living vitality of the financial system, you know, there's no give and take in any of that, and so I can see, I understand that, and it's found elsewhere. Well, where is elsewhere in your, in your own personal growth?
1: Well, um, yeah, uh, it, it, it it's like, that's one of the points when you might notice, this isn't working for me anymore or this feels stale, or it feels dry. Okay. And it's like, then you start recognizing there's a problem, and you start searching for something that brings vitality, or something that gives vitality, um, which might be a whole different kind of thing. It might be a different kind of understanding. It might be a different church. It might be a different Catholic church. It might be going to a different church, like a Protestant church right. or something like that. It really all depends on the individual and what they seem to need, where they're led.
0: Right. It, in my own experience of seeing so many people uh, who have issues, um, what, what I understand is that Catholicism is my foundation. And so, like, I stand on that foundation. Um, I'm not as good a Catholic as I was. I still practice not as often, but I'm not judging myself, and I'm not judging, but I find so many people are stuck. I wanted to let them consider something as we speak that um, it's okay to do what you have to do for yourself, and you don't have to be upset by the institution because the institution is not the person who created that institution. You're right. So and, there's comfort in doing anything you do. At least if it's going to be helpful to you.
1: If it's helpful, yes. Exactly. And it's like that's... that's um, and I always have to go to the individual. Uh, I, I clearly see in my practice some Catholics who are very satisfied in the church. I clearly see people who are not. Mm -hmm. And it's like, where are they? And what do they need? That's the crucial thing for me. Right. And how, what's going on with them that gives them the ability to find something that's beyond what they know. And I think that's an an important piece. I think we're talking right now about something that's very hard to grasp but it's like an experience of god
0: exactly
1: it's an experience of something more than the ego
0: and what you choose as your experience of god and what i choose as my experience of god and what your clients choose as their experience that they're all unique to each individual
1: you see and i would change the way you said that and say uh because god can choose an individual a certain way and God can choose another individual another way. And I think that's so. Right. You see, so it's like there's also that something of God that makes a choice that's not under anybody's thumb.
0: But our response would all be different.
1: Yes. Okay. And according to how we get moved in that experience and how we understand it, and whether or not we understand it.
0: Like the call, and then we would answer? Yeah. Okay.
1: I remember somebody telling me this story uh, about an awful time in his childhood and how, in that time in his childhood, he would go into a closet and would imagine his real mama and daddy coming to pick him up and take him away. And I said to him, he didn't particularly believe in God when he was telling me this, and I said, I wonder where that thought came from. Wow. See, and I'm tearing up.
0: Yeah, just thinking about it.
1: Because I think it was an experience of God.
0: Wow, yeah. For him. That's powerful.
1: Yes. And God was it. In a closet. Alone. Imagining Wow, and something came to help in a terrible time.
0: And it was in through his imagination. Yes. Because I also sense that healing and how we heal is an some sort of art form. It's creative.
1: Yeah, it, you see, it's the creative is part of what moves in. Exactly. And I think that that imagination was wonderfully creative
0: and and it's not allowed in organized religion necessarily.
1: It doesn't always have a place. Where it would be allowed is in the more mystical aspect, okay. the contemplative, the meditative practice, retreats um, Thomas Merton Thomas Merton, okay. those kinds of monasticism, it would be allowed there because the monastics have that kind of, the mystics have that kind of feeling. Right. Um, they have that kind of feeling for God. It, it's, it's, it's experiential. It's not intellectual. It's an experience of a presence. It's right. an experience of a presence that's vital and lively and that you can miss when it's not there that you know it in the longing. Right. i read a book
0: once. It was centuries old. I think it was called The Sacrament of the Present Moment. Mm -hmm. I don't remember who wrote it. Maybe one day I'll find out and I'll (laughs) tell you about it. But um, I I wanted to thank you for this present moment that you shared with me in in doing the podcast. And I'm hoping that what we shared will... um, will, you know, be accepted by other people and it'll make them think.
1: Okay, good. It was good being with you. Thank you
0: so much. All right. Thank you for listening to Le Cado Podcast. I'm your host, Becca Begna. Matt Roberts produced the show. Thanks to AOC Community Media for the use of their facilities. For information about AOC, you can visit aocinc.org. Thank you very much. Merci beaucoup.